is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to WFUV's only and own soccer podcast uh, for all soccer fans. This is our second episode of 2022. I'm Maddie Vellante. I'm joined with my co-host today. James Burley and Nick Guzman. So we've been watching the Premier League for a while. And I think at this point, it's safe to say that we know Manchester City has pretty much run away with it. They took on Chelsea back this past weekend. They beat them one nothing, And now they're ahead, I think, like 11 or 12 points in the standings. And they've won about five out of five of their last games. I think genuinely after watching this season with them. I, I'm a big fan of midfielders in general is to play midfield. So I love it. And Kevin Breiner, who scored the goal for the game has been so good this year. He's in my opinion, one of the best midfielders in the premier league. One of the best ones, I would say even across soccer at this point, I just want to hear what you guys have thought so far about Manchester city and how dominant they've been. Yeah. You know, in the beginning of the year, it's kind of like this every year in the Premier League where you're like, it's not going to be City again, is it? They're not going to win again. And it looked like we had a three-horse race at the beginning of this year with Liverpool and with Chelsea. And Chelsea's fallen off. Liverpool have fallen off. You know, it's hard for Liverpool now with Salah and Mane away at AFCON. But City, just they're such a well-oiled machine. It's It's really fun to watch just how, you know, De Bruyne controls them in the middle. Bernardo, Bernardo Silva this year has been unbelievable. I'd say he's probably been the MVP for Man City so far. He's just the way he controls the ball and controls the midfield. He's just been so good, you know, playing more in the middle as opposed to on the wing more uh, in previous years. And even though, you know, the big money signing Jack Grealish, he hasn't played that great. It doesn't really matter when you have all the attacking talent that they do. And, they, you know, stumbled a bit out of the gate, but they've they've just been flying recently. And, you know, to win the Premier League these days with Manchester City as a dominant force, you have to be almost perfect. And Chelsea and Liverpool were like that for a while, but it's hard to sustain over a whole year, especially during COVID times and injuries and congested fixture schedules. City just, with all the resources they have, all the depth, they've been a pleasure to watch, but, you know, as a fan of the Premier League, I would like a little more, um, a little more competition uh, with City's domination in recent years. No one can deny how you know stylish of football they play, but 
you know, it's been a while since we've, it's almost feels like we're, we're entering into like Manchester United era of the early two thousands or something like that. Maybe if you want to be extreme, you know, hopefully the league is not turning into the Bundesliga or Syria, but you know, these power shifts that it ebbs and flows. So I think it'll be a matter of time, maybe when Pep Guardiola moves on, but as long as Pep's there and city have the resources, they do, they, they're the team to beat. Yeah, definitely the team to beat. I mean, there's no other way to put it at this point. You know, 11 points clear at the top of the table. Um, five wins in their last five. Only two losses on the year, two draws on the year. They've been only just short of perfect. Um, Nick, I'm glad you mentioned Bernardo Silva. And Maddie, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Kevin De Bruyne because they have just absolutely taken the reins of what has been probably the best team in Europe uh, in this, across all top five leagues this entire year. Certainly the favorite to win the Premier League and still one of multiple favorites to win the Champions League. That's the only trophy that eludes Pep Guardiola with this side at the moment. Um, and yeah, those rumors are there that maybe he'll leave because of the just unreal amount of success that they've had. His contract is up in, I believe, the end of next season, and he might move on from his post at that point. But this team is just something special, and uh, it's reflected in not only their results, but in also the way they play. They're a fun team, an exciting team. They don't concede a lot of goals and they score. I think only the only team who has scored more goals than them in the Prem is Liverpool um, by a factor of maybe one or two. And yeah, they just from top to bottom, their big money signings even don't even have to play such a huge role. Jack Grealish brought in $100 million and still not uh, the biggest factor that they have. And that's okay because they have so many other pieces in and around the team. But that's not to say that it's a runaway at this point. You know, there's still 16 or so matches left. Liverpool have a game in hand. Chelsea still look like they could be very dangerous. But I think other than those two, there's hardly any chance at this point uh, being 11 and 12 points back respectfully, uh, respectively, excuse me. Um, so I'm just really excited to see what's next for Manchester City, if they can sustain this, which, you know... It's going to be a tough test, but they've done it so far. And, they, and as you said, Nick, they've done it for many years now where it's uh, start, starting to get scary. Yeah, I know. It's really scary when you do have a team become a superpower because it really kind of ruins their character. I feel like you then have to hate them as a fan because you're just sick of seeing them constantly win. But they're such a hard team to dislike. I think a lot of the likability from the team comes by the fact that you know, even though they do go out and they get big name players like Grealish, those key players are not these million dollar like contracts. They're these players that have just become so adept at working together on the pitch. And it's it's really impressive. And I, I really like to see that with the team. Like, as we said, there is still games on the table. It's it's pretty interesting to see how the rest of it's going to round out. I have been kind of following more of the lesser run, so the run for fourth, which has just heated up with West Ham is currently in fourth, but there's a big Tottenham game today that we'll get into a little bit. And, you know, I think it's interesting to see how, you know, even though those top one spot, you know, even the top two and three are still very flexible with Liverpool and Chelsea, how the rest of that top four or five is going to round out as well. And it's so hard to predict because of all the postponements and everything. You know, Tottenham have played 19 games. Chelsea have played 23. It's 
it's tough to to predict. You know, a lot of times fans will see the games in hand and we'll just assume that, you know, a game in hand is a win, but it's not. You still got to play the game. You still got to win the game. But looking at, at Tottenham and with their games in hand, the big win today, um, they were down two to one against Leicester with James Madison scored, then Bergwine scored two in a matter of seconds. It was almost like a, almost like something you'd see in FIFA, how Bergwine scored, scored the first goal. They kicked off. Leicester tried to attack and Tottenham stole it, played, and Kane played Bergwine through and he scored and won it. Um, that's the kind of thing that usually happens to Tottenham, not the other way around. But with Antonio Conte there now and with their games in hand, I like the way their season's shaping out. Um, it seems like they're not going to have the conference league to to worry about. Um, I'm not sure what the status is of that fiasco um, where they had a COVID postponement in their last game and they almost, I think they were forced to forfeit. But but Spurs, I like the way they're looking right now. West Ham have stumbled a little bit, but you know it's always a question with a team like that if they can keep it up. Um, and even Chelsea, they're slipping a little bit. And this might be a little bold to say, but I wouldn't be surprised if they get closer to, to fourth and they are to second. And all of a sudden they're in more of a battle for the top four. I think they'll easily finish in the top four. But the way Chelsea are playing right now, they've got the Club World Cup coming up and they're just not playing good soccer at the moment. They can't score any goals. The you know They're sound enough at the back, but they're attacking talent, which is it's on paper, you know, it's really good players. You got ZS, you got Havertz, Werner, Lukaku, Pulisic. But for whatever reason, you got Hudson Odoi too. They just cannot score any goals. And you're not going to really have a lot of success in the Premier League doing that. But, you know, with the way they play, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they maybe scratch out a deeper on the Champions League or even in the FA Cup. Just because, you know, that defensive kind of style when you're lacking goals can kind of work better in a, in a cup format. But... Honestly, right now, my pick for fourth place would be Tottenham Hotspur. But I love what Antonio Conte is doing. But, you know, it's so open right now because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with the league just in terms of when games are being played. When do they schedule those makeup games? You know, it's not a free win because what if they schedule it, you know, in a time where Spurs already have congested fixtures and it's it'll be tough for them to play their, their strongest squad. Um, but I think Tottenham's my pick for now for top four. Uh, I'm going to bring up another team. I think Tottenham are obviously a great shout to pick up that fourth spot, um, especially with the inspiring result they had today. We'll talk a bit more about that later, of course. But I think Arsenal are another team to keep an eye out. They're uh, in fifth, two points away from that fourth spot. Um, West Ham has as inspiring as they've been. I don't know if they're going to, with the lack of resources compared to the other teams around them, if they'll be able to keep up with you know the likes of Chelsea and, and what have you. Arsenal, they, they have turned things around a bit. Uh, I know their last match, uh, they lost to Man City, albeit with a man down. Um, but they have showed some promise too lately, you know, stuck it in there with four wins in the last five, an absolute thumping of Norwich. Not that that says a whole lot, a thumping of Leeds. You know, they, they, they really have, um, they haven't gone through the toughest stretch of their schedule yet, which I think Chelsea fans can look at and say they have, you know, facing, uh, Liverpool and Man City back to back not too long ago. So I wouldn't I wouldn't hit the panic button all too yet for Chelsea fans. Um, but the race for fourth goes all the way back down to eighth or maybe even ninth place with Wolves on 31 points and Brighton on uh, about 29. Because West Ham uh, have those games in hand on 37. And I know you said, Nick, and you're totally right, games in hand don't just mean three more points. But you, you have to take that into account, especially when 
your team like Arsenal or Tottenham who are gaining traction. Uh, Manchester United in seventh, uh, something of a debacle they are. We don't know what the, what the uh, situation is with Ralph Ranić if um, he has the, you know the the um, the best interests of the players. Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't seem like he's totally inspired by Ranić's role. Um, bringing in Chris Armas, yeah, former New York Red Bulls manager, Red Bulls like, legend, just absolute legend, uh, seemed like a ridiculous decision that I don't think enough people have talked about because it's crazy. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're still about midway through the season, just past that mark. And we have a tight race for fourth, which is always exciting. Um, not so tight rate, tight, tight race for first. And at the bottom half of the table, the relegation uh, race kind of seems like it's um, coming to a close as well. I mean, Watford and Everton trying to stay out of uh, those bottom three spots. But I think for for fourth, it's going to come down to Arsenal and Tottenham trying to make that leap over West Ham. And that's going to be exciting given the uh, rivalry between those two clubs. Yeah, I agree. I think I've had very bad uh, luck with picking teams to end up where they should. I've been like over two now. I want to put my money on Tottenham to take that fourth spot. I do agree that Chelsea will probably drop from third. I cannot see them lasting there with just how sloppy the play has been recently. I don't think it's strong enough. And this whole game, when you're looking at the standings, is definitely a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I think for them, they have lost a lot of traction in their last couple of games. Tottenham is going to play Chelsea again soon. That's going to be interesting to watch, especially after how well I think Tottenham has played in the long run. So that will be interesting to see how they round out. I don't count Arsenal out yet either. I think they could probably put up a good fight as well. I am not really confident I would see them overtaking Tottenham, but it's kind of it's up in the air for me there. Manchester United just has disappointed me. Like they have disappointed me internally as a club that I think I can't really bear to watch it anymore. When you have players expressing so much disinterest and even playing and you are having so much turmoil in the locker room and internally, it's, it's hard to watch and you can't expect results if you never fix those issues. And so I'd be shocked to see how long they'd even hang out there in seventh currently where they are now, if they'll probably drop, they're just disappointing to watch for me. And it, it's a shame because I used to be a big fan of them when I was younger, when I was playing like FIFA 12 on my DS. And so like, I used to love them and it, it's sad kind of to see their state now. Early. If, if Randick gets, uh, gets sick or something, does that mean Chris Armas is, is coaching Manchester United? Oh my United? Lord. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is I mean, that, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Talk I, about falling upward. <laughs> yeah, the, the man is the, that man is the epitome of failing upward. He got fired from two MLS clubs in less than a calendar. Well, in okay, oh, across two calendars, yes, than a less than a 365 day period, and now is it, it, it is in charge of Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandez. That is absurd to me. And, and in a way, I want I, I I hope I see it, it happen just once because I want to see how much of a dumpster fire it would be with the amount of pain Chris Armas has caused me as a New York Red Bulls fan, but. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it's crazy. It, it, it would, it would be unfair to say Manchester United are anything less than a debacle at this point. Nick, what, what do you think? You know, I can't get the Chris Armas subject out of my head. The man, J- Jesse Marsh, he, his only real success as a manager was inheriting what Jesse Marsh left him at Red Bulls for that half season where they made the playoffs when, when Marsh left to be, to be an assistant. 
um, at Leipzig. It's not really that big of a deal because how much he what does he put the cones out in training? Like we don't really know what he what he does. <laughs> but it's I, it's just funny to me. But United as a whole, just to me, they're kind of like you know how we've seen Arsenal these last few years. They're getting to that level where it's just like fun to laugh at. Um, and but it's almost it's sad a little bit. You know, when I first started watching soccer, United were the team to beat. They were the big boys. Now they just lose to, you know. They, they pretty much lose. They don't lose every week, but, you know, at home, if they lose, you're not shocked. Where if that if that happened under Sir Alex Ferguson, you would be. And I think they really need a structural overhaul. Um, the players that really just are not good enough for Manchester United, in my opinion, or for where they want to go, that just kind of hang around for some reason. You know, Marcus Rashford, I love him. Um, he's a great guy. He scored today. Maybe that maybe that'll whip him back into shape. But he's been really awful for most of this season. And you know, in the middle, McTominay and Fred aren't really, you know, good enough to hold down the midfield. And I think they need to. First of all, I need to admit that there's a structural problem, which is a big, a big thing. And then, really, a large overhaul. Because when you look down their squad, and I I look at the players there, there's very few that I that I would look at and say I can build around you. Um, and it's sad to see, but, you know, it is what it is. And I think United can turn around if they, if they, um, if they recognize just how deeply the problems run, this isn't just a bad stretch of form under Rangnick. This happened under Solskjaer too. It happened under Mourinho before that. Louis van Gaal, if you want to go even further back, this is a structural problem that's been there since Sir Alex Ferguson left and it needs to be addressed. Yeah, absolutely. It goes back to to uh, the David Moyes days, and you you can't just look at David Moyes and say, "Well, he's a terrible manager." Because look at what he's done this season. Yeah, he's not a terrible I mean, manager at all. No, and and neither is Jose Mourinho. He's a proven winner. Louis Van Gaal did great things with the Netherlands national team. You know, it it, it it's not the issue of bad hiring. It's the issue of bad uh, structural ownership. The Glazers have been, you know, just absolutely. Uh, hated by the fan base since they took over even when they were winning under the Glazers because I believe they took over sometime around 2005 when they got the majority uh, shareholdings of the club which is just you know the politics of it all is interesting enough as it is but in terms of how they play on the on the pitch this year yeah obviously I mean we've all seen the memes you know the McFred memes like like McTominay and Fred are the replacements for for you know Paul Scholes like of, of you know the last generation it's 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 kind of shocking that this is the same club that has won the league 20 times you know um this is this is the the sort of attitude you get from the players a player like marcus rashford who you mentioned nick who has such a great head on his shoulders but you can't get the best out of him that's worrying a player like cristiano ronaldo who is literally like the epitome of you know work hard and get what you desire um that he is unhappy at the club right now it seems I mean, there were images of today where he got subbed off um, and he just looked unhappy to sit next to Ralph Ranick. Um, maybe he would have preferred if it was Armas sitting next to him. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> the point is, though, it, it just does not seem like the team is inspired. Um, and that's, that's a little different from what we were saying at the beginning of the season, because we a lot of people were talking about the Prem being a four horse race, you know, with United getting Ronaldo. And it's not that Ronaldo's played poorly. Uh, maybe he's unhappy. He's still Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, he still scored goals today. 
Uh, I didn't get to really watch the match, but don't think he was much of a factor with the early substitution. Um, they still had a pretty convincing win uh, over Brentford, albeit being against Brentford, not a powerhouse in the league. But I don't know, Manchester United, uh, just shaky, and they have been since 2013. And uh, I don't know where they're going to turn next uh, from here because they just brought in a new hire and it doesn't seem to be clicking yet. Maybe they give them until the end of the season. Maybe they shop every player at the club. Who knows? I mean, they, they are only in seventh. They do have an entire season to cover up some ground and, and reach the top four. Yeah, I agree. I think there is still a lot of room for them to kind of make some stuff back up. Obviously, like there is the potential of them to pick kind of that motivation back up, things to turn around. But I think definitely it has to come down to that they're going to have to start shopping. You know, when your main issue is that a lot of your typical goal scorers aren't scoring goals, you can't so you can't really sit back and just say, okay, it's just a slump, they'll get out of it. At a certain extent, there has to be some kind of change that is brought into the club to try and get that going again. Like it's a shame because like we mentioned, I like Rashford as well. I think he's a great young player. I think he brings a lot to the team, but he's not scoring. He's like, he snapped his drought today, yesterday, whenever he was playing, but it's not enough. I don't think for that caliber of a team, it's enough. And so Maybe that means he goes somewhere else. Maybe he takes a break. Like it, it really depends. It's sad to see, like we said. I think there's definitely room for improvement. And I'm excited to see if they can turn it around. I would love for them to. Uh, but I think that's going to wrap up our Premier League talk. And we're going to shift kind of our focus to another area of soccer with the Africa Cup of Nations, which has been going on recently. It's been an interesting race. I know something that's been disappointing to watch, though, is Ghana. Ghana has just been eliminated in the group stage, something I didn't really expect going into it. I thought they were pretty decent on the international stage going into it. I certainly didn't expect them to come in last. What do you guys think about this? Where do you think this is going to lead everybody. Are you happy with some of the way the games have played out? What is next for a lot of these teams? Yeah. Aesthetically that I've watched some of the games, it's a lot of, it's a lot of one nails. Some of the games are tough to watch, but I, I, I've, I've, it's been a fun competition. You can see the passion everybody has for it. And, you know, I've really enjoyed watching it. Um, in terms of Ghana, yeah, very disappointing. I still think they're, they, they paid some God for, for 2010. They're still paying for I'm Louis Suarez. Louis Suarez, <laughs> his black magic is still over them. Mm. So they're still paying for whatever their sins, Louis Suarez's handball. And that's why um, they're not doing great. But, you know, on paper, they've got a good team. But um, other teams have really, you know, picked it up in this competition. I've been really impressed with Nigeria. Three wins out of three. They've advanced to the next round. Um I think they've got a solid squad. Egypt started a little slow, but they now advanced to the next round. Um, you know, with Salah up front, really, you know, you'd be hard to bet against them. And El Nani in the midfield, too. And a team that, you know, really they do have some firepower up front in Senegal, but they won their group, but just one goal scored in their three matches, a 1-0 win and then two 0-0 draws. 
And for a team like that, you know, that's got Mane up front, other good attacking players, their lack of goals is a little surprising. Um, but if I really had to pick a team right now to win the competition, I think I'd go with Nigeria. I like the way they're playing. I like the way Ian Acho's playing and Alex Iwobi. I like Trust Kong at the back. But I think Nigeria is my pick. I wouldn't be surprised if Egypt or even Senegal make a run. You, know, you, you criticize Senegal's lack of goals, but you know we see all the time in tournaments teams that just have to defend well. They they did not concede in that whole group stage. Teams that can defend well really do well in international competitions. And all you got to do is poach a goal off a set piece, and you're through the next round. So you never know what can happen. But I think my pick is Nigeria. Yeah, I, I think the the story around um, people who you know. If, if you're not super into international competitions, especially if you don't really have much of a connection to African nations, um, my pitch to you would be if you uh, love dramatics, maybe yes. take a look. I mean, I don't know if you guys heard what happened in the Mali-Tunisia game that didn't, that didn't reach 90 minutes. Uh, that was something special that, you know, we don't always get to see when we're watching the Prem and Champions League and, and La Liga and all that. Um, but, you know, there's still two groups that have yet to uh, finish play. Matches are will be tomorrow. Uh, group E and Group F both have some pretty big stories in them. Algeria has to, has to get a result against Ivory Coast in order to get through. And Algeria, you know, if that's a powerhouse of Africa, they don't want to end up like Ghana finishing fourth out of four in a group that they should arguably be topping with the only real uh, – competition in group e for algeria is ivory coast and that's the team that they're gonna have to most likely beat uh, a draw maybe could be enough to finish third but even then uh you know they're playing with fire at that point group f tunisia you know they were at the 2018 world cup they're behind two teams that weren't gambia and mali they're sitting in third um they have to play um gambia who are sitting in first you know that's an uphill battle for them as well that should be exciting but of course, teams like uh, Morocco, Senegal, Cameroon, uh, Nigeria, who've already punched their ticket into the next round, are going to be the favorites to win it. Maybe even Egypt. Uh, although you have to give Nigeria a lot of credit, their group included Egypt, and they're at, they had three wins out of three. So I think uh, Nick, a great pick, say Nigeria to win the competition. Um, Senegal, of course, because of their defensive record, are going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, Third place pool teams to look out for because we're not finished with the uh, the group stage yet. Maybe Cape Verde. They have, you know, MLS fans will know Jamiro Montero for uh, Philadelphia Union. He's a tricky player. Um, they didn't look too convincing, but they're most likely to be in the round of 16. Um, Morocco, you know, we mentioned Hakeem Ziyech before with Chelsea. Um, they could be a powerful team going forward. But, you know, we'll wait and see. I think Nigeria might be the favorite, though. I agree. I think going into it, I wasn't a big Africa Cup of Nations watcher. I wasn't really planning on watching it, but after seeing some of the teams go into it, it kind of really brought back what I really enjoy about soccer, where it's less about trying to score as many goals as possible and really just focusing on the key fundamentals of the game, which is defending, like you said. And I think that's what makes it so enjoyable. Another thing about the tournament is some of the uniforms have been incredible. Like I, I, I don't even care. Like the Nigeria uniforms every single year. I love them. I love seeing them play. I think they've been so dominant and it's, it's hard for me to see 
another outcome for them. I'd love to give Egypt the credit to think they could beat them, but Nigeria has been so good, just so dominant. Even on the international scale, when I used to watch them a couple of years ago, I just think they're so they're so technically advanced for a team, and they're so underrated when it comes to it. I think definitely what's been cool is that these games are one nothing games. They are nail biters for me. And so you can really go and watch a game and not really expect anything to come out of this other than one like set piece goal, which should be what other teams are really getting. You know, set pieces are so important to the game that I'm shocked that this kind of cup doesn't get more attention than it does. I mean, I think it is still wide open. Obviously Nigeria could underperform when it comes to those top teams I just think they're pretty dominant and I'm excited to see them play more I want to watch more of their games and I think they're definitely the scariest team out there and definitely the team to beat yeah as a United States national team fan whenever I see countries with cool kits it really makes me jealous just we've just boring kit after boring kit after boring kit there were some leaks for for the U.S.'s next kit for for the World Cup in uh, this winter, and it's just it's just plain like a white T-shirt and blue shorts, and yeah, Nigeria Nigeria's kits are cool. Um, the competition as a whole, it's it doesn't get a lot of attention because it it you know it it's going on at the same time as the Premier League is still going on. All the leagues in Europe are still going on. It's not like the Euros or. Um, or the world cup or even the gold cup where everything's kind of on pause in the soccer world in the, in the summer. I know they, they initially planned uh, to play this tournament in the summer, but they, they decided the conditions wouldn't be favorable for the players, which is probably a good idea. Um, but it's just kind of the victim of a crowded schedule in, in terms of, you know, world soccer. And I know teams aren't happy about having to release players, but you know, Teams, these players love representing their country, and it's been a great competition just for the drama. Like you mentioned, James, that Mali-Tunisia game was was maybe the craziest thing I've ever watched in terms of – I just don't even know, like, what even happened. Like, first the referee blew the whistle way before, you know, full time, and then he blows it again before 90 minutes when there were so many stoppages. I think there was a VAR review, and it was just – you don't – there's something special about that. like it was very entertaining to watch. And in terms of, in terms of passion, you know, playing for your country and it doesn't get better than international soccer. I know people don't like international breaks, which is fair for friendlies, you know, nations league stuff can get a little boring sometimes, although I'm still a big fan of it. Um, But when a competition like this comes around, really, I think people should tune in. It's entertaining. It's international soccer. It's for a continental trophy. And it's been very entertaining so far. Yeah, and, and for as poorly as they performed in this competition, Ghana have some fire kits as well. Um, as much as a rivalry as we the U.S. has developed with them in the last yeah. two World Cups that the U.S. have participated in, um, I got to give them credit where credit's due. Those secondary kits with the black and yellow are just absolutely sweet. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the fact that with the scheduling is just unfortunate. It, it is what it is, though. I know my roommate is a massive Liverpool fan. He is voiced his opinions, to say the least, about the absence of Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah. Uh, and I get it. But at the same time, these players are representing their countries. 
And I know I mentioned Ziyech before, but he he chose to stay with Chelsea. I don't. He's not even with Morocco. Um, and that's not to say that Morocco doesn't have a lot of talent beside him. Regardless, the point is like the scheduling is just unfortunate. Um, and that also played like a, a bit of a factor with World Cup qualification because they uh, Africa the CAF um, federation only has um, one one like section of their qualifying process left where um, it's two leg ties between the top 10 teams in, in the, uh, in the region. And that is as high stakes as it gets. That's basically a playoff and you're in. So this tournament is also very high stakes and that is going to be a big preparation for world cup qualifying moving forward. They move their uh, round three of world cup qualifying back to March. The teams don't even know their opponents yet, but we could see, like Senegal versus Cameroon, Morocco versus Egypt. It could be like super, super tight competition. And that's why this competition is important for the timing where it is, because a lot of these uh, teams have not played in high stakes matches against other African nations in a really, really long time. So to get that preparation um, right before World Cup qualifying really heats up is huge. And you could say the same looking at other confederations. You look at the Euros, you know, being last summer right before World Cup qualifying, that really cause things to heat up the gold cup and nations league look at CONCACAF that was right before world cup qualifying started. So, you know, it, it's crunch time now with everything pushed back because of COVID. And now we've got the world cup coming up. It's really an exciting time for international soccer. I agree. I can't wait to see what happens this summer with everything going on. You know, we're going to talk about next episode, a lot of the World Cup qualifying going on with the U.S. Their men's games are coming up soon. She Believes Cup will be coming up for the women's side really soon in February. So it's it's going to be a really interesting time of international soccer. You get to kind of move away from a bunch of the leagues. And, you know, we're really excited to talk about it some more. But I think that's going to wrap up today's episode of WFUV's FUV podcast. Um Thank you guys for listening to us. You can check us out on all of our social medias. Uh, this was Maddie Bimonti. Uh, once again, we had James Burley and Nick Guzman. James is also editing today's show. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure you're watching all the soccer going on across, and we'll be back to talk about it with you guys really soon. Take care. Take care.